A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. In this episode, I've banned another B word, not Brexit this time, but the budget. For the reaction to Philip Hammond's attempt to save the economy and his own job, we'll have a podcast special on the budget later this week. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Times columnist David Aronovich, Times Religious Affairs correspondent Kai Burgess and Red Box columnist Jane Merrick to discuss the crisis in Germany, religion's place in politics and politics place in the celebrity jungle. Before we begin, a special mention from Muffy Donuts, who posted a review on iTunes saying, I like Matt Jolly's take on the politics, but I do not like that he doesn't like cats. To quote the New Times ad campaign, we'll agree to disagree on that. Uh, as ever, do get in touch and let us know what you think of the podcast. Email redbox at thetimes.co.uk or tweet us at Times Red Box. We kick off this week with David Aronovich. Crisis in Berlin. I should wish for that kind of crisis. Old Merkel still polls at well above 50% in her personal rating. The economy thrives. We've carried reports of job shortages in parts of Germany. It's not losing agencies to Paris and Amsterdam. It doesn't have a PM captured to the right and an opposition party captured by the left. Crisis, I wish. (laughs) This is a nice upbeat take on what's happening um, in Berlin, David. For people who haven't totally followed every twist and turn... I don't speak to people like that. The Germany's... No, I I only talk to people who've followed every (laughs) twist and turn in Germany. I'm afraid afraid if you haven't really kept uh, kept your ears open, then this podcast's not for you. All right, but hypothetically, if I hadn't followed it uh, all all as closely, what's going on in Germany? Well, essentially, you remember there was an election. Yep. um, And the election was inconclusive. The big parties lost ground and the minor parties gained ground. And when you get above a certain ceiling, you then get representation in Parliament... Uh, And so all of a sudden, at a certain kind of level of voting, you get a lot of little parties in Parliament. So then the major parties have to try and form a coalition out of that to get to a majority. And those talks have not gone very well. And essentially, Merkel's been trying to form a three-party coalition with the uh, Liberal Party, um, which is actually a rather kind of more muscular affair, really, than Liberal parties tend to be elsewhere, um, and the Greens. And she's not managed it. And the Social Democrats, who would have formed part of what they call a grand coalition and said they don't want to do that either. She doesn't want a minority uh, 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 administration, though she could do that. So that's where this enormous talk of crisis is. They might even, and isn't this a terrible thing, have to have another election. Have they called the DUP yet? Um, they haven't called the DUP yet. Uh, and I'm now sure the DUP would support them if the money was right. Bustling Arlene Roberts. Uh, that's right. She would uh, cut a dash amongst the, 
amongst the Thuringians um, <laughs> and so on. And, and now people have seriously begun to talk about how this is the biggest crisis in Germany since the Second World War, which is a piece of hyperbole, so <laughs> preposterous. Um, I don't actually remember the uh, Berlin airlift, but I was seven for the Berlin Wall going up. Uh, and in 1990, I seem to remember the gigantic effort of reunification and so on. So I kind of feel that this is absurd. Um, there will either be another election or there won't, and there will be a German government sooner or later, and it will still be presiding over much the same kind of Germany as it is now, almost certainly. So you can't help feeling, and here's where the old famous phrase is, do they have a word for schadenfreude in Germany? Um, this is schadenfreude. I, I would love to have a German crisis. Jane, the interesting thing about this is it sort of raised at least the hypothetical prospect of Angela Merkel not ruling Germany forevermore. Yes, I thought it was a great subtweet actually yesterday, when a sort of a magnificent subtweet by her to say that she'd rather have an election than a minority government, i.e., you know, Theresa May, you're weaker than me. And actually, David, <laughs> David is right. I mean, she hasn't. She's got the AFD who came third in the election, but nobody wants to work with them. She's not. She hasn't got a crisis like Brexit to deal with. She's just got the simple simple inverted commas um, problem of having to form a coalition. If she has another election, she'd probably win it again. Things might have to move around a bit, but she's not in the same, not in the same league as Theresa May's crisis position. And, and of course, unlike the UK, which dabbled with a coalition for five years and then decided definitely didn't want to go down the road again, um, this is perfectly normal for, German, yeah, for Germany. They, all, they, they spend a long time. There are always coalitions in Germany. We, we tried it. It didn't work very well after five years. Um, the German establishment will get behind stability. They don't like instability. So it's, it's not gonna, we're not gonna be suddenly, Germany's not gonna be suddenly ruled by the AFD. It's not that level. And kind of one of the reasons, because obviously being Brits, we always have to turn everything into what it being about us. It, actually, this is partly to do with Brexit and our concern that if there's trouble in Berlin, then that means trouble for, for Brexit. It amuses me with the negotiations where they refuse to give us any details because they say we can't reveal our negotiating hand. And yet the amount of times they don't seem to realise that people in Europe can actually read the British press if they want to. And so there'll be front page stories going, don't tell the Germans, but if we if we do this, they'll give us a really good deal. And you think, well, there's probably somebody in Germany, you know, on the Times website this morning going, oh, Mrs Merkel, I'm afraid uh, they've got a cunning plan. Well, I, I know that the German embassy read both the Times and Red Box very closely. Well, there we go. Uh, so, it yeah, you're, quite, you're quite right. Um, and the, do we think, because there were sort of two schools of thought on the sort of Brexit-Berlin axis. One is this is great news for, for Brexit while the Germans are distracted and Merkel's got other things on her plate. She'll probably nod through the next stage of the negotiations. The other is that Everything gets put on hold while we wait for it to be resolved. That very clever young man we've got upstairs called Raphael Hogarth is the kind of Mekon of Brexit. Um, uh, said, <laughs> I thought appropriate this morning, it's no kind of news for Brexit at all. It probably won't make the slightest bit of difference. Mm. And actually, I think that's probably about right. I mean, the, the most it could do maybe is slow something up because somebody doesn't have a chance to look at a paper today that they all have a chance to look at by Friday and so on. But it's not going to make a very big difference to the big strategic positions or even the tactical positions. She's uh, been in position Brexit. for so long, Merkel. I don't get the impression she's someone who's particularly flappable. Although it made me laugh in terms of Britain's place in the world, and I'm not relating this to Brexit in any way, but I did see a tweet from, I forget which American outlet it was, saying that um, given President Trump being a sort of unusual character, who, who do you now think represents the leader of the free world? And the four choices in this Twitter poll were Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron, 
uh, Angela Merkel, and you thought, will it be Theresa May? And it was Pope Francis was the fourth one, so we don't we don't make the top four still. So you can only have four on a Twitter poll. Exactly, so I'm yeah. sure Theresa would have been just outside the five. Champions League also, places. The, of world the point is, there is still going to be a summit next month. You know, Brexit is still happening. A new Chancellor isn't going to be suddenly make more concessions to Germany. So the idea that the Brexiteers are saying today, oh, make, take advantage of this crisis in Germany, we, we don't have to give away more money to the EU, is just preposterous. And actually, steady as she goes, business as usual seems like the best position that we can take. It was, but I just want to say one other thing about it. I mean, the point I really wanted to make was we are in a much, 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 much worse condition than Germany. And here we are talking about their biggest crisis since the Second World War. And you think to yourself, get a kind of sense of proportion here. I mean, I really wish that I could bequeath to my children the scale of crisis that they've got in Germany with every atom of my being. Well, there we are. That's a, it's a good, upbeat note, at least for the Germans, if not for us. Uh, let's move on. It's a completely different uh, subject. This is Kaya Burgess on religion. So only two nations on earth reserve places in their parliament for unelected religious clerics, and they are Iran and Britain. After serving as one of the 26 Lords Spiritual for 20 years, Richard Charters, the until recently Bishop of London, returns to the Lords today as Baron Charters, a life peer. Does this show that the House of Lords could scrap the Lords Spiritual without losing religious voices entirely? Or should it expand the Lords Spiritual beyond the Church of England bishops to include clerics from other religions? And does it really matter? So, Carl, this is sort of where your, your day job, if you like, directly crosses over into politics. I mean, there is this weird situation of having bishops who sit in the House of Lords and get to vote on uh, legislation and particularly at the moment the House of Lords is sort of where a lot of these battles happen and votes are won or lost and put a lot of pressure on the government so there is, it is an interesting question as to whether or not unelected religious leaders should be having a say on, on what the laws of the land. Well exactly and it feeds into the wider question of, of House of Lords and reform and hereditary peers and, and, and the whole debate but it kind of crystallises around the bishops because that it shows that the symbolic value of the House of Lords is sometimes given more importance than its sort of practical value. The, the bishops used to be a majority um, in the 14th century and they often go back to saying, well, the Church of England is such a part, fundamental part of the fabric of how we do things in our constitution in this country that it's only right that they should be there. Um, in terms of my final question of does it matter, um, I, I looked this up, they, they make up about 3% of the Lords and there have only been a handful of votes in the past 10 years where it's the bishops what won it. Um, I'm not sure they, they tend to use that phrase themselves personally, but um, but it kind of comes back to this argument over the whole, the established church, should we have religious people guaranteed places? No one's saying that they shouldn't be bishops. At the moment, um, the two former archbishops of Canterbury and now two former bishops are peers, aside from the Lord's spiritual. The fact that the Anglican Church, I think the latest survey showed that only 15% of Brits identify as Anglican, more than half of people... Well, I was going to ask you about this. There was a survey which showed that more than half of people don't have any religion at all. Yeah, so only for only the second time ever, the, the British Social Attitude Survey, which is sort of one of the biggest of its kind, showed that people saying they have no religion had ticked over 50%. And so it was an interesting question, though, because successive governments have looked at this over actually going back, you know, obviously, probably centuries, but going back decades, certainly. And no one ever quite proposes scrapping them all Nobody together. wants to touch the bishops. Well, well no, they a, do the, occasionally. There is a monarch problem here, too, <laughs> with, you know, the, 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 defending the faith and so on. And we've only, we only just got round fairly recently to allowing uh, a monarch to marry a Catholic. Uh, uh, it is 
an absolutely magnificent uh, anachronism. It is completely unjustifiable. Um, and you will sooner or later face the thing that you did with faith schools, where you say, well, if you're going to have these C of E schools, then you've got to have all these Muslim schools as well, because you can't allow one and not the other. So sooner or later, you either get rid of the House of, uh, of the, of, of the uh, Church of England bishops, or you're going to have to allow everybody else in. Now, of course, to an extent, they've already done a bit of that. You know, the chief rabbi always gets in and, mm. and so on. Uh, and somebody always kind of makes them uh, makes them a lord, and you, and you, and we will always argue that it's part of the kind of peculiar genius of the unwritten British constitution <laughs> that somehow you fold into the lords people who, like the bishops, aren't partisan but spend all their time thinking about ethics. And actually, you think about it, you think, yeah, it's quite a good idea sometimes to have people who just think a lot about ethics. But why those people in particular, mm. uh, and why not other people, is actually a kind of moot point. If we had elections, would we get better people thinking about ethics, or will we? get worse people thinking about ethics and so on but what you sort of know is that sometime in the future when we actually do come roughly up to date more or less the time when we decide that the houses of parliament is an absolutely useless building to connect and have parliaments in and we actually move everybody out they're going to do sensible stuff like that we will actually get rid of the bishops of the church of england we will actually promote disestablishment uh uh that will happen um and but then the we might miss it round the edges and so on but i think we'll probably probably be able to get on with life I think if you accept the existence of the House of Lords, then there's nothing wrong with having religious people in there. And actually, you were saying one of the—I think one of those votes that they made a difference in was a, a, a social justice one. Was it um, bedroom tax yes, a couple of yeah. years ago? And actually, they, so they have—they—they they often put forward from a sort of you know speaking up for poor people and so on. And but I think just, better to have those than sort of the cronies that that political parties stuff the House of Lords in who have very little experience. These are experienced people. And actually, I mean, when the House of Lords reform was last going through in 2011, I think Clegg put forward a kind of, let's have a completely secular House of Lords and have no bishops at all. So Cameron responded by saying, well, actually... Let's reduce it in 26 to 12. Let, or let's was, have a yeah. multi-faith thing. And mm. actually, what's wrong with having different faiths represented in there? I think that would be more representative of Britain. There are, there are two sort of arguments. One is that the bishops, actually, because they each have a diocese, are the kind of closest thing in the House of Lords to people who have a constituency yeah. and are dealing with people on the ground every mm. day and then bringing that into the House, which is an argument why you can have bishops in the House of Lords as you know, life peers, as crossbenchers, for example. But then the other argument being the Church of England has to toe this line with things like faith schools where they have to say, oh, it's not about actually about faith. We're not trying to make people Christian. We're not using faith schools as a recruitment tool for our church congregations. They actually say officially on their sort of website, the Church of England, about the bishops and the lords that they're actually there to represent all people of faith. And interestingly, chief rabbis and the Muslim Council of Britain both support the Lord spiritual kind of in their current form. Of course they do. But also they often say they should have kind of representatives from other faiths, which mm. really isn't surprising. But Yeah, of course they do. I mean, it's the religions always support each other in getting as much power as they put and influence as they possibly can. And they're always kind of looking out for each other's each other's backs. And, and taking up Jane's point, of course, you, you've got a point, Jane. I'm not going to pretend that you haven't uh, and so on. I'd like that kind of ethical discussion. But why these religions? Who chooses which religions get to go in? I mean, where are the Wiccans in the House, uh, house of Lords? I mean, quite Jedi's, seriously. Jedi's, Jedi's. Where are the Wiccans are there in the UK? <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> I, I did do an investigation I, last year, which found that there, well, there are 16,000, I think, Church of England churches, and there is one Druid place of worship. So, okay. you know, where is their voice in our legislature? But there are, but there are a lot of Pentecostalists, mm, and no, they're not, and they are not represented at all in yeah. the House of Lords. Well, that's why it needs to be multi-faith and multi-denomination. But in that case, we just have thousands of these people. But is that therefore the argument for for? People, religious clerics, for example, being given a place on, on individual merit mm. to be in the House of Lords, but perhaps not necessarily having a bench of specific sort of Lord spiritual parts. Which is what we have at the moment, is basically there are lots of faiths represented in the House of Lords as life peers, mm. and that's, the, but those that's generally how it's aren't, fudged, isn't it? True, although a lot of, in a lot of cases just people who happen to be of that religion yes. rather than necessarily yeah. being kind of, you know, I don't think there are any imams in the House yeah. of Lords, for example. There no. are Muslim peers, but not people with a kind of faith leader background. Yes, that's true. We had a really interesting conversation about this on uh, in the podcast went out on October the 17th where Daniel Fingerstein defended um, the right of cronies to be given job given places. Wasn't how he phrased it. In the house of, no it was well he defended he he defended himself as a crony of That's David Cameron it. and why why he thought that was uh, a good thing um, <laughs> for obvious reasons but um, and we, we and of course we believe that the House of Lords is immeasurably strengthened by having a representative from the Times in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. well there were a couple we've got Matt Ridley as well as um, there's a, there's a, yes exactly right maybe maybe if it, the House of Lords only had people from the Times it would be an altogether well, better the Times it wouldn't be in any less ridiculous yeah. organisation have someone from BuzzFeed in why not right hang on you've gone completely mad now uh, I was, I was alright with Jedis <laughs> before we come on to our final topic of conversation uh, which is even more silly. Uh, we'll be back after this advert break. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Welcome back to the Times Red Box Politics Podcast. I'm joined by David Ivanovich, Kai Burgess and this is Jane Merrick. Is it ever a good idea to mix celebrity with politics? Kezia Dugdale is being heavily criticised for starring in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here just months after stepping down as Scottish Labour leader. But politicians have always liked to dabble in chat shows and reality TV so what's the problem? Now, as we sit here and speak, we understand that she's on her way to Australia, but actually isn't yet in the jungle. She wasn't in the first batch. Yes. She's sort of a, the Timmy Mallet. I think Mallet there are pictures of her with her hat on. Right. With so I think she has them. arrived in, in Australia. <laughs> um, but obviously Stanley Johnson is already there and already talking about Brexit. So we're already mudging the waters there. But she's being... I think she's 
the criticism that she's received is a bit too much. She has stood down as as Scottish Labour leader. She's doing. She is donating some of her fee for charity. I mean, I'm interested to know what the rules are because obviously we had Ed Balls on Strictly last year. He'd obviously stood down as a as an MP, but there seems to be a bit of sneering about I'm a celebrity that somehow it's more tasteful <laughs> to be in a spray tan. And the well, there is something slightly different between eating doing, insects. Is well, a bit well, less there is a difference tasteful. between doing the fox trot and eating a kangaroo's testicle. I mean, arguably, <laughs> I think that's the best thing that they get. To eat. <laughs> <laughs> All the stuff is most appetising. <laughs> um, and of course, the, the parallel that we've had most recently in Westminster was Nadine Doris because yes. she uh, packed off. She asked the whips; they said no, so she went anyway. Yeah, um, if I remember rightly. And there was a wild hoo-ha about, and she had the whips withdrawn. I think for a bit she to did, sort of yeah. show that you can't go. Swanning off, yes. um, but actually, it's sort of completely relaunched her, and she writes all these books now, and she's a, you know, she's a, a celebrity in her well, own. Well, this is the interesting thing. Why is Kezia doing this? Is she doing it because she's basically given up on her political career, and you know, is is wants to do something else? Does she want to write a book? You know, a lot of the people. I mean, I'm thinking back to Harold Wilson when he did Friday Night Saturday Morning, which was a terrible. Uh, venture into chat shows. He was absolutely awful at it. Neil Kinnock. <laughs> Neil Kinnock did the Tracy Ullman um, pop video. He was obviously already having trouble anyway, but did that help him? It probably helped him a little bit. Tony um, Blair do... Um, Tony Blair did um, Comic Relief. Comic Relief. Relief. I mean, you can double yeah, a bit. He was brilliant. He was yeah. absolutely brilliant at it. He also oh, did his own voice in uh, The Simpsons, oh, which is another, which I think is actually a kind of cooler way, but you're only going to do that if you're really... You made it in the really world. I'm not sure yes. Kezia Dugdale's no, waiting think, for a call look, for The Simpsons. Isn't the thing about this <laughs> is that it betokens desperation. That's that's the thing which is on a slightly diminishing. She is also a member of the Scottish Parliament, by the way. And it's quite difficult to see how you can do your job of representing whoever it is she represents. Don't test me on this. Um, uh, in the Australian jungle, but maybe they would actually rather that she was there. I think the problem. I think the problem with constituency casework section of the challenges. Well, exactly. But I think the problem is it's pathetic. That's the, it, 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 it's, it's a pathos. You, you have a kind of desire to run things and make things better for people. You give that up and you then go into the jungle for money to eat spiders because people <laughs> want to punish you and you want them to do it. It's a form of, it's a form of, of masochism, um, which is kind of psychologically worrying. I find it psychologically worrying. On the other hand, and the other thing I don't like about Kezia Dugdale doing it is I like Kezia Dugdale and I only want people to go there who I don't like. I want to, so, so if I've got to vote for somebody to eat a kind of appalling raft of, you know, kind of arachnida and various other kind of creepy crawlies, I want to be able to vote for somebody I really hate. Who would you nominate? <laughs> <laughs> Does she... <laughs> I, I, I sent a whole load of Times colleagues' names just flashed across his eyes. We get on very well here. We get on very now, well. Now, Kai, having spent years um, working on the Times diary, it was part of your job to know about minor celebrities. Now, I quite like to think that I know a minor celebrity or two. The line-up this year is particularly poor on I'm a Celebrity. The fact that Kezia Dugdale is sort of rubbing shoulders, it, does, it doesn't add any sort of celebrity stardust to rubbing shoulders with these people. I don't think it does. It's, it's a bit like various shows like this that began quite strong and then sort of have petered out to not that many people watching them. And, and I can't imagine there are people at home thinking, oh, I know who that is. That's the former leader of Scottish Labour. Of course it is. It doesn't really... <laughs> there's not going to be a lot of great photo opportunities with sort of massive celebrities. Maybe she's hoping to, I don't know, engage Boris Johnson's dad in a massive debate about Brexit. But I can't see that pulling the viewers hugely either. But doesn't isn't she... 
in her defence, isn't she making politics in a way more accessible, just like Stanley Johnson is well, making politics more accessible? Well, that was the rubbish that Dean Dawes said, and she didn't really. She earned a load of money, and now she's flogged some more books. But I think that it, I think you, when you sort of cut into this, I mean, Love Island. I don't know whether anyone saw Love Island this summer. Big, big reality hit. Uh, only what I was forced to by my daughters. It was not non-celebrity, <laughs> not it was sort of ordinary. But very beautiful. You're not suggesting people. that politicians go on Love Island. No, but, it, but, was, <laughs> but there was a contestant on Boris and Nadine. I think we've had enough <laughs> of that in Westminster already. There was a contestant on there who used her appearance on Love Island to talk about the refugee crisis in Syria and to talk about feminism. And she said, "I'm going on here because I want to raise awareness for these issues." She now has a million followers on Instagram of people who watch Love Island who are now interested in the in the situation in, in Syria, and that's quite a good argument, isn't it? Sort of cut through. That's going to make for some interesting editorial decisions by the producers, if that's what Kezia Dugdale wants to do. <laughs> yeah, a big kind of discussion on student numbers and participation, higher education participation rates in Scotland. But is this the changing climate? In that it always used to have I got news for you used to be the kind of the bridge between politics and celebrity, didn't it? And launching people mm. like Boris Johnson as a kind of cultural phenomenon. Is it now I'm a celebrity? You know, are you going to have to get kind of up and coming? Backbenchers under the shower in in the jungle, in order to get that kind <laughs> well, of. But the, inter- the interesting love. question is: is the it looks like Kezia is doing this as a way out of politics yeah. rather yes. than uh, as a sort of up and coming. I've only met one other. Per- I only know of one person who's done it. I mean, personally, and they did it for the money. Now, the money is really not bad, mm. uh, and so on. Um, they were otherwise kind of they they never watched this kind of program anyway, so it was no kind of skin off their nose if they got a lot of criticism as a result of it because they didn't know the kind of people who watched it, uh, 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 and so on. So, um, I think actually we should be we should be realistic about it. If the money wasn't good, people on the whole wouldn't do it. There would be a few who did in order to kind of launch future books and so on. But the people who are left who wouldn't do it for the money would be people who are literally desperate to be talked about and to be in the public eye. Mm. I mean, is it a sense of just which, which, which covers most politicians. <laughs> do you think? Well, that, that does make me think, why is she doing it? And I don't think she's really, apart from yeah, she's exactly. donating some of her fees to charity, but not all, it's still unclear what her motives are. Is it just are. a think she name and face recognition so that you're more likely to get asked on, you know, the kind of chat show, not chat <laughs> shows, but kind of on the kind of politics... And magazine al- shows and it also mm. speaks to a, a sort of new problem which politicians face that when they leave frontline politics they're much younger than they used to be so it was mm. fine for yeah. John Majors to go off and watch the cricket and take up a couple of directorships and sort of slide into retirement mm. David Cameron's having the same problem mm. what does he do all day in that shepherd's hut <laughs> uh, yeah, what does he do all day? Well, we don't know. No, I'd like him to go on, I'm <laughs> The phone, the, 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 the servers would crash. Well, no, that would be a problem. Phone. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. David Cameron, Barack Obama, I don't know, a, a few of the other part, George but Bush. Nick, Nick Clegg is another part. What does Nick Clegg do with himself? Uh, it's that strange thing where if you've been in a sort of senior role as Prime Minister or as, as Deputy Prime Minister, it's a sort of unwritten thing that you're done now. I mean, maybe because no one else would necessarily want to invite an ex-Prime Minister back into the Cabinet because there's always going to be conflict over what they did and what you did. But this idea that even if you're in your early 40s and you've done, you've been Deputy Prime Minister, you have to sort of swan in the background. And call it, I'm a real celebrity, get me out of here. We pay each of them a million pounds and we get some of the biggest figures who are still alive in the world to go into the jungle to eat snakes. <laughs> I think I'm a. I still want names. Though. I'm a washed-up politician. <laughs> get me out of here, I and mean, we we should crowdfund it, and we'll we'll get David Cameron, George Osborne, Nick Clegg, and we'll get them all in there, and just not film it, just leave them there. <laughs> the Angela Merkel Bush Tucker trial <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> 
Well, on that um, very silly note, I think that's all we've got time for uh, this week. As ever, you can read the latest political news on the thetimes.co.uk, where non-subscribers can now read two articles a week in full for free in exchange for your email address. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes on your Android device, and you can sign up to my morning email briefing. Landing in your inbox with the latest political news and occasional jokes, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox. For now, from Jane, David, Kaya and me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.